I'm Matt Miller of the Ditch That Textbook Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great educational podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Before we start today's show, we wanted to make a quick announcement. The podcast is undergoing a name change. It's a small one, y'all, but an important one. We've decided to shorten the show's name to be called the Google Teacher Podcast. We've heard from several of you that there are problems with including the word tribe in the name of the show. And the last thing we want to do is create a show that is disrespectful or offensive to anyone, especially in its name. In the coming weeks and months, we'll be changing our website, our social media, our hashtags, everything to reflect this change. It takes some time to do this, so be patient, but it's important to get it right. So without further ado, let's start this show with its new name. Welcome to episode 105 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in today's episode, we're going to dive into digital citizenship. There are all sorts of resources out there. And I know just in in the last October, we had Digital Citizenship Week. So we're going to wrap up some of the things that we've had from there, um, give you a whole bunch of resources that you can use in your classrooms. There are games, there are activities, there's all sorts of interactive stuff that we know that you're going to love. Of course, we've got Google News and Updates. We're going to be hearing from you, our listeners, and we've got a couple of blog posts to share. So Casey, you ready to get started? Yeah. So let's see how many times we can say digital citizenship correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not many. Okay, y'all, let's take a look at what is happening on the keyword blog, which is Google's main blog. And I have a post that I was going to share in last week's episode, but we ended up having so many other things to talk about that this got cut short. And I mentioned that I was I mentioned that I was going to mention something. <laughs> I think I posted with a post, Chris. <laughs> you mentioned with a mention so and you posted with a post. I mentioned, yes, yes, yes. Improving 40 million Chromebooks for education. So bet was going on last week in London and Google was releasing a lot of announcements and updates. And this was part of that. So Chromebooks have been around for 10 years now, which kind of is making me feel old. And they want to reimagine what we can do with this. And so... I'm sort of excited about this, but I'm also I've I've got a a few reservations about what's going on. So they're really focused on sustainability. And I think that is sort of the marketing tool that they are using in what they're announcing here with Chromebooks. So they have created these devices to be more sustainable and packed with features that empower teachers and students to get the most out of their teaching and learning. Here's what they're introducing. So they have new updates to their automatic update expiration date policy. That is exactly what it's called. (laughs) That's not hard to to read either. And new devices for 2020 are going to have a longer life and more capabilities, including touchscreens and an improved user interface and a new price. So here's kind of where I have some reservations. So the automatic updates 
are that are launching in 2020. So the device, the new devices and beyond will receive automatic updates for longer longer periods of time. So for instance, the new Lenovo 10e Chromebook tablet and Acer Chromebook 712 will both receive automatic updates until June 2028. So mm, that's kind of blowing me away. I I really want to see what those devices look like in eight years. So, but here's the thing that I'm a little bit concerned about. To support the greater lifespan, they have increased the price for the Chrome education upgrade that that management piece that we've had to purchase along with the Chromebooks, it's not a huge increase. It's from $30 to $38. And you can purchase this Chrome education upgrade through your reseller and manage your devices. So they're also announcing some improvements to the Google Admin console and a few other things. Of course, there are tons of new devices every year. I think we get more and more devices that actually work with Chrome OS. Again, like I said last week, I'm not so excited when I find out Google is charging more or charging for things that they haven't in the past. So I really hope this is just a seamless upgrade and that we're not really beginning to see any type of um, nickel and diming in inside our favorite Google tools that have typically been free. I, I know devices have not been free, but that's just sort of my uh, soapbox issue there. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely my hope, too, because there are certainly plenty of those out there that schools and school districts have to deal with anyway. So so let's let's hope for the best on that one. So the next thing I wanted to share with you has to do with Made by Google. So Made by Google are all of these devices that you may have in your pocket or at your house or maybe even in your classroom. You know, variety of things like your Google Home or your Nest. Um, there's the Pixel phone, uh, your Chrome tablets, your Chromebooks, just a wide variety of things. And so Google has this list of 20 tips for 2020 related to these devices. And so some of these are a little more applicable than others for the classroom, but I thought I'd I'd share a couple of them with you. For instance, um, if you're using Google Chrome as your web browser, which hopefully you are. <laughs> if you're using a Chromebook, then you certainly are. Um, you're going to get some extra protection from Chrome. It says whenever you type your credentials into a website, Chrome will now warn you if your username and password have been compromised in a data breach. So by gathering the the information from these data breaches, then they're able to let you know if it's time to do a new password. Then there's also give your passwords a makeover. Repeating passwords makes your accounts more vulnerable to common hacks. So make sure each password you use is unique and and complicated. Unique and complicated. I'm really bad about this myself, but I'm I'm trying to get better at it. Um, So there's a, a variety of things related to the Google Assistant as well as the um you know the the Nest. For instance, you can create assignable reminders. Uh, for other members of your household, like reminding your partner to walk the dog, um, you've got a way to check your Wi-Fi easily. Uh, so if you have like a Nest Wi-Fi point, you can just ask Google, what's my Internet speed? And it'll let you know. So then, you know, for me, that means I don't have to run off to the speed test website and check it. Um 
And so there's there's just a wide variety of these things that as some of these devices start making it into your house or your pocket or your classroom or whatever, it's always interesting to see how we can use them for the best. So if you've got any of those made by Google devices, this is one you might want to check out. I, just like you, have been getting that warning about reusing the same password Mm -hmm. over and over again. So, yeah, Google's trying to help me out and I... I'm resisting, but I'm I'm going to have to give in a little bit. Well, we're going to continue with our theme for the day. I feel like we've you, you were talking about some, you know, protection, security, privacy, and we're talking about digital citizenship today. And the last article I want to share with you is actually about Data Privacy Day, which if it was the day of this article was published was January 28th. But Google's giving us seven ways we can protect our privacy. And a lot of people fear Google and with good reason. Google has a lot of data. If anybody should be talking about data, it's Google. And the number one thing, Matt, is keep your password safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have come full circle. Yes, the password manager in your Google account will help you remember and securely store those passwords. I also like the fact that it will recommend a strong password for you. Um, I do also use LastPass for even a stronger layer of security. But Google has something called a password checkup. And you can also use that to just kind of check, hey, what do I have out there? What do I need to change? What do I need to update? And like Matt said, it will let you know if there has been a data breach with any of those third parties that you're using. Number two, this one I, I hadn't heard about, but you can let Google automatically delete your data. So there is an auto-delete function for location history, web and app activity, and your YouTube history. And you can choose to have Google automatically delete your activity and location history every three or 18 months. And you can also control what data is saved to your account. So if you're um, concerned about that, and you, you really should, you should be paying attention to what's being stored out there and who you're allowing to have your information And number three is about one of my favorite tips, incognito mode. So incognito is going to allow you to look at things from a different perspective because incognito mode is not logged into anything automatically. So it's like a clean browser where you can check links and you can do some other things. But they suggest when you turn on incognito mode in maps, your activity, like the places you search or get directions to, won't be saved to your account. And that's something I hadn't thought about in terms of maps. So I'm not going to read all seven to you, but we're also um, some some great tips in here. Number seven is about controlling what ads you see from Google. So that's going to be in your personal account. G Suite for Education is ad free. But um, if that's bothering you, you may also want to take a look at this. So some great tips here from Google. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you want to check into any of these a little bit more, you can always head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 105. Hey, producer Chris here. Just wanted to jump in and let you know that the new website for the podcast is live. You can visit the website at googleteacherpodcast.com. Now, throughout the rest of this episode, Matt and Casey do say googleteachertribe.com slash 105. But you can just direct your efforts to googleteacherpodcast.com slash 105. All other episodes previously released can be found at googleteacherpodcast.com slash, and you can insert the number of any of the previously released episodes. Now back to the show. 
All right, let's dig into our featured topic today, which is digital citizenship. And I think we can see from a wide variety of different places in our students' lives and even in our own lives how important digital citizenship is becoming, um, you know, just from from all sorts of different places, including just being civil to each other online to making sure that information that we look at is credible, so on and so forth. And it seems like just seems like this is a moving target that there are, you know, different concerns and different things that we have to protect ourselves against, um, you know, even all the way, even recently to the the deep fakes that we're seeing in videos, like it's just constantly on the move. And so as educators, we've got to be, we've got to be on top of it to some extent, but we've got to be able to help our students think through it and see how they can apply it to their lives. And thankfully, there are some really good digital citizenship resources that are out there. Yes, Absolutely. I feel like that's the bottom line. We can't ignore it. It's something that teachers and students have to pay attention to. We have to begin integrating this. And into our classrooms, we need systematic plans for this on our campuses and in our school districts to make sure we are addressing these skills in our classroom. So Google has a ton of free resources, and we've hit on a few of these over the years and news and updates and things like that, more specifically Be Internet Awesome. So we're going to dig in deeper into Be Internet Awesome and some of the things that are available because I have to tell you, when I went to the site, there was a ton of new stuff that I didn't even know had been added. So Google's constantly making this a better resource for all educators. And if you're not familiar with the entire program, beinternetawesome.withgoogle.com is the main page and you will find everything there. In fact, you'll see a video of kids using it at home as well as in the classroom. So I think it's important that we make that connection back to the parents as well, because parents don't know what to do. Parents don't know how to handle this stuff. And there's some really good questions. And what I love is they have created this game called Interland, and it's really fun to play. Yeah, this is pretty cool. This is something I've uh, I just started learning about here recently. And so you've got this little character who's able to jump around to these these different games. And so, you know, you have a, a variety of different titles. You've got Tower of Treasure, which is all about securing your secrets and making sure that you've got security. There's Kind Kingdom, where it says it's cool to be kind. And so making sure that we can treat each other kindly online. Reality River, don't fall for fake. You know, making sure that we've got credible sources. And then you've got Mindful Mountain, Share with Care. It's like all of these lessons that come into it. And of course, it makes it interactive too. Um, you know, it's kind of like a little adventure that students get to to go on. And, you know, I've got kids in eighth, sixth, and fourth grade, and I could see them, you know, playing this outside of school as well as inside of school. And, you know, this is this is way better than a worksheet. This is way better than a lecture. This is something where kids can actually interact and and see how this works. So um, this is this is a really a really cool thing to be able to to integrate into the classroom. And one thing that I had noticed was this new thing that had popped up along with Be Internet Awesome called Be Internet Legends. And I well, first of all, I'm a little bit confused right now because I keep getting sent to the UK page. So maybe this launched in the UK first. But I know we we have users or users, listeners and users all over the world. So 
The B Internet Legends program is actually for the younger kiddos. So I think they're trying to create some resources that are for the younger students. And I just saw this post and thought, what is Legends? And so I'm digging a little bit deeper, but that's when I discovered, hey, there's a lot more going on here. So the game is great. But what you should really know about as an educator is there is a little educator tab right at the top. And this is where all of the magic happens. This is where all the goodies are for you and your students, including the free curriculum. So as we're talking about how important this is, that we are systematically approaching this from the beginning uh, that we get our students from the younger grades all the way up, because let me tell you, there are plenty of high school students that don't understand this stuff. This is an ISTE aligned curriculum. So it aligns with the ISTE standards for students. It's completely free. It's available in English and Spanish. And this is a great way for you to launch this on your campus if you haven't really explored this as a resource yet. And another free resource that goes right along with this that is pretty cool is that Pear Deck has teamed up with Google through Be Internet Awesome to create all of these interactive lessons that run through Pear Deck. So if you're not familiar with Pear Deck, real quick, what it is, is it will take your slides, um, in this case, probably in Google Slides, but it also works within PowerPoint, Pear Deck does. Um, it'll take your slides and make them interactive on your student's screen. So they're able to you know, choose between multiple choices or drag a little dot or draw something or type something. And so what they've done is they've they've created these great slide decks where students will get a slide on their screen and they're able to, you know, draw something or select something. So I'm looking through one um, under the don't fall for fake section. And so it's got a spot where um, it's got a list of pros and cons and you're able to write out what some of your pros and cons are. So like, for instance, this one says, make a pros and cons list to explain the benefits and drawbacks of asking your grandmother for video game advice. And so, you know, and then it continues to go, um, watching videos that teach soccer practice techniques on how to learn to be a better soccer player, um, consulting a website that sells soccer shoes and gives advice on how to be a better soccer player. So it gets into a little bit of the nuance of what you can expect from these different sources and which one would be best. And then it comes down to, um, you know, it comes down to the end where it gives some information on how to, um, you know, kind of like how to, how to make good decisions. And then there's some writing response, kind of like some prompts there at the end. So these are, these are really cool. Um, and then of course, what you can do with those is you set up that Pear Deck slide presentation, your students access it on their devices, and then they're able to, write in their their responses, um, draw things in, select things, and then you're able to see it as a teacher um, and even display the the student responses up on the screen. So this is a really nice way to, you know, if you, if you need a little bit of guidance, it's got some ready-made stuff there just waiting for you to use, and it makes it interactive with students too. So this is, this is yet another really good resource for digital citizenship. How brilliant was it for Pear Deck to team up with Google on this? So it made the perfect little marriage for them to integrate this into their inner interactive Google Slides software. And if you haven't installed this yet, I do. I have to tell you this because I think this is just freaking adorable. But when you install 
the curriculum and it adds it to your drive. They add the little pear emoji next to the <laughs> folder. So it stands out and I see it now every day in my drive. And it just makes me smile. I, emojis make me smile. So smiley emoji. But I love Pear Deck and talk about them all the time, but I only use the free stuff too. So I love that this is out there, that it's free and it's ready-made. So there's no excuses. This is out there. Any teacher can jump in and grab these lessons and use these in their classroom. And, you know, kind of to circle back to the Innerland game that is pretty interesting to say the least. If you haven't played it, you should go play it yourself. Some of these questions trip up teachers. I've used this in a workshop before, and it is pretty interesting to see how much teachers actually know. And I think that's the fear, too, that we're always afraid our kids are going to know more than us. Hey, who cares? It's okay if they do know more, because that's why we have all of these resources. And the fact that you can use Google Classroom, I know we got a lot of classroom users out there, you can assign Innerland to specific classes. So it does have that shared a classroom capability. And on Chromebooks, your G Suite administrators can actually seamlessly make Innerland available to students directly from their Chromebook taskbar. So another little shortcut just to make things that much easier. Yes, absolutely. So tons of resources to dig into, lots of stuff that you can start using in your classroom right away, including all of these educator resources. There's even a teacher training course available in the Google for Education Teacher Center. So lots of things that you can go check out. We've got links to everything in our show notes. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Who's ready to jump into the mailbag? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think that we're going to need some sort of graphic of us jumping into a mailbag. We've said that so many times, but mm -hmm. we love hearing from you. We get great ideas from you. That is what this podcast is all about. And a couple weeks ago, I'm actually forgetting which episode this was that we did on YouTube. So that was actually episode 102 when we were sharing YouTube tricks. And Kate points out something that you need to know about streaming live performances. And she says, this is a, a, in response to the mailbag question about using YouTube live to stream concerts and performances. If you want to stream these, you should double check what rights were purchased for the performance. When I was a video teacher, we were not allowed to record most plays because only the rights to perform the play were purchased. The rights to video and audio rec record are usually separate and more expensive. Although it's been a while since I taught video, I wouldn't be surprised if streaming rights need to be purchased. And that is such a great point and something I know the librarians out there and media specialists are on top of to keep the rest of us from breaking <laughs> those rules and those laws. But yeah, you definitely want to make sure. And I'm sure with choir music as well. Sometimes we have to double check on performance rights, I think, for some of the music and things like that, too. Very, very good point. Thanks, Kate, so much for submitting that. Uh, we've got a voice message today from Mike Brilla from the Philadelphia area, and he's got a question about Google Calendar. Curious to see what you all think about this and if you have any suggestions for him. So go ahead and take it, Mike. Hi, Casey, Matt, and the rest of the Google Teacher Tribe. My name is Mike Brillen. I'm currently a teacher on special assignment in suburban Philadelphia school district called O&J Roberts. Our middle school currently runs on a six-day cycle, and I was hoping you or your listeners might be able to help us out. 
Does anyone know of a way we could set up a Google Calendar to automatically update our six-day cycle calendar if changes need to be made? For example, if tomorrow's a day four and we miss for a snow day, currently someone needs to go in and manually change each day for the rest of the year. Is there a simpler way we can do this? Thanks for any help you can give me. Ah, so yes, the, I've I've dealt with some of this myself, especially if you set up something that recurs over and over and over again in Google Calendar. And if you've got to change it, it can be a huge, huge headache. We're going to throw this one out to all of you and see if anybody has any suggestions on this one. I don't blame Mike and not wanting to reset this this stuff over and over again. So um, if you've got any suggestions for him on managing Google Calendar, especially for this six-day cycle that he suggests, then um, definitely uh, head over to the website and then uh, you know definitely drop us a message or leave us a comment, send us an email. You know, we'd love to hear what your solutions are to this because this is sort of a tricky one. Yes. And I'm not completely sure I even understand what he's doing. So we may need some clarification in that. Somebody out there probably knows exactly what he's talking about, but it's not something that I've ever worked with. So we appreciate the questions and, of course, everyone helping each other. So thank you so much for sending those. Keep them coming, y'all. We want to hear from you. All right. So as we're wrapping this episode up, we're going to share a couple of blog posts with you and then we're going to be finished. So I wanted to share with you a pretty cool guest post that just showed up on the Ditch That Textbook website by the fabulous Laura Steinbrink, who is a teacher in Missouri. Um, I'm actually going to get to meet Laura for the first time at the TCEA conference next week. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um And she wrote a post called Google Classroom Still to the Rescue, Blogging, Vlogging, and Podcasting. And so she talks about how she has used Google Classroom as kind of like a hub to make some of this stuff happen. Um, She talks about uh, blogging and choosing a blogging platform. Um, She talks about how she can set up, how you can set up Google Classroom, how you can get students started with working, um, you know, wide variety of of things to get students interacting through uh, this kind of work. And it's really cool how, you know, Google Classroom can be the hub for some really neat, creative work uh, by students to show what they know. So definitely go check that one out. Oh, that's fantastic. Love, Laura. I'm kind of surprised you haven't met her yet. I have. I know. (laughs) So I have a wrap up to share with you. I've mentioned this before, but I just wrapped up the four-part series on dynamic learning with Google. So the the fourth part has now been released. The whole series is complete. And in this last piece of the pie is when I shared some ways that we can go beyond the walls of our classroom and beyond the due date to encourage our students to continue to learn about the things that interest them. So lots of strategies that you can turn around and use in your class with recommended Google tools. And that all comes back to that dynamic learning with Google toolkit that I mentioned before, which is this giant Google sheet that I'm working on to help you see how Google tools can align 
with the dynamic learning framework. So um, you can check that out. Of course, the link's in our show notes. And real quick, just a reminder, if you want to join the Shake Up Learning Book Study, it starts very soon. It starts on February 13th. I'll have a link in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 105. So as my buddy Matt likes to say, we're going to put a bow on this and wrap (laughs) this episode up. And you know what? I love sharing all of these free resources. I love that this is out there for us to integrate digital citizenship into the things that we're already doing in the classroom. It's free. It's a must have. We hope that you will continue to subscribe and follow us as we are working on our new name and our new branding. It will be a slow roll and keep sharing and keep staying connected to us. We would love it if you would click that subscribe button and share an episode with another teacher. Without further ado, we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that G Suite power and may the Googles be with you. So let's dig into today's featured topic, which is digital citizenship. And I think that we can all probably see from a wide variety of places how important digital citizenship is these days. And it seems to be coming. (laughs) What? I heard you tripping over the word. Yes, I did. (laughs) So funny you were going to be able to tell. Digital citizenship. (laughs) Digital citizenship. It's okay. I'll do it in a minute. (laughs) And we just said it was going to happen, didn't we? Yeah, it's hard to say. Digital citizenship. Digital. Yeah. Okay. I'll do better this time. Here we go. (laughs) You totally called me. No, no, no. You should just leave it in. You should just leave it in. I just started laughing. Yeah. 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 This is definitely going in the bloopers at the end, I think. So, all right. Here we go. Try it again. I'm not going to be able to do it now. I know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Breathe. Okay.